Okay, if you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at a passage in between um, sort of two more major sections of, of the Gospel of Luke today. Um, but um, a, a, a section that I think has a, an important message that, that Luke has included um, for a specific purpose. So, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. So it says, Soon after, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called the Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father God, we thank you again for, for this time. God, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you uh, to be able to, to come to your word, to open it up, God, to read um, about uh, the life and teachings, um, God, the, the purpose for his coming of Jesus Christ. Father, as we, as we open your word, um, we pray that you would uh, work in our hearts, in our spirits, in our minds, and in, in the way we think and value and make decisions, God, that, that our lives would be conformed to, um, to the principles that we find in your word, God. God, help us to um, read it rightly, to absorb it um, properly, um, and to live these things out in our daily lives. God, thank you for all your goodness and graciousness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so so we're kind of, um, I tried to, to make the title just a little bit provocative, right, that to, to people would get, it was going to be putting women in their place. And then I thought, man, that's just a little too much. And so I'm going to back off a little bit, and I was going to say, um, women in their place, right? And so honestly, that's what we're talking about because I think that's part of the reason why John, uh, Luke um, gives us this section of scripture, right? The reason why he includes this little um, joining passage and he tells us about the women who had come along and were um, ministering uh, with Jesus, going with him as he ministered through the towns of, of Israel and Judah, um, and, and gives us just a little insight into um, these women, all right? And so, because obviously it's a perennial issue in churches, right? We ask that question, what is the place of women in terms of ministry in relation to the church? Like, how do all these things come together? And I'm not going to get um, super in-depth um, in, in, in what we're talking about today, but I am going to throw out some sort of general principles that I think we notice in this text. Um, and then we'll, and then uh, that'll kind of lead us on. Honestly, this text is, is, is connected to, to the last text that, that Brandon shared with us last week about the woman who comes in and is, uh, is weeping at Jesus' feet and, and, uh, pours out the, the vial of, of ointment on him. Um, so, so it starts in a place that we, something we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? So it says, soon after he went through on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, right? We've seen over and over again, that's what Jesus is about. 
okay? If you thought that Jesus was here primarily as a wonder worker or as a healer, uh, you've misunderstood the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' primary focus, the main thing he has come to do is to bring the good news. And all those other things, the miracles and the healings and the, and the casting out of demons and things like that, all those things are pointing back to that good news, right? They're pointing back to that gospel. And so we've talked about that before. We've seen the scriptures in Luke say that very same kind of thing, that, that Jesus is there proclaiming and bringing the good news. But then it also tells us um, that the 12 were with him, right? So we've assumed that. We've seen the 12 uh, on and off throughout this passage. But it tells us something a little bit new, that there were women who had come along with Jesus who were following him and, and traveling with him um, during his ministry and that they were providing for him, it says, out of their means, okay? So let's just kind of maybe intro this with saying a few brief kind of comments about w- the place of women in society in the ancient world, okay? And so both in, in, in Greco-Roman society and in Jewish society, there was sort of like, uh, there were, there were two sides to the way women might be perceived, okay? In, in some places, there could be a lot of reverence for women, and then in other places, they could almost be kind of second class citizens. Um, and it just kind of depended on the context, right? So for example, um, there are very high levels of praise and honor and respect for women in the traditional roles of womanhood as wife. And as mother, right? Like there are, there in both cultures, there are songs written and stories told and proverbs made about, about the importance and the goodness of, of good wives and good mothers and, and, and things like that, right? And those women were held in high esteem and thought much of and, and revered in many ways, right? Um, just like in any culture, if, if you were a woman of wealth or position, you probably had a certain amount of standing that other women might not have, right? And that's pretty much been the case all throughout history. And so if you were a Roman citizen and you had a lot of money and a lot of influence and you came from the right family, then you might be almost in terms of your, uh, your, your rights and your privileges and stuff like that. You might have more rights and privileges than many lower class men had just because of your position. But again, that depended. Um, a woman's personal and social and even legal standing could vary depending on, on where you were and what your situation of life was and your connection to either the Jewish nation or to, to the Roman Empire or whatever, right? Um, but what I want to do is, is focus, because it's, it's particularly important for us, to focus on one aspect of a woman's role in Jewish society, especially as it pertains to uh, devotion to God as it pertains to obedience. All right. So there's this quote that gets thrown around. Sometimes you'll hear people reference it and maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I have referenced it before. Um, but there's a quote from a, uh, it's, it's a Pharisaic writing or, or something like that. Like it's, it's some rabbi from, from the first century or before, and he's writing a prayer to God and it's in some extra biblical text. And he makes this comment in the prayer. He says, blessed are thou, O Lord, our God, who has not made me a woman. Okay. This, this rabbi is thanking God that he was, is not a woman, right? That he was not made a woman. Okay. And a lot of times people will throw that phrase, that line from that prayer out as if to say, see, like the, the, the status of women is so low and disrespected in these, these things. But, but here's something that I came across this time, and honestly, I was not aware of this when I had read that passage in previous times, is that man who is praying and writing that prayer is talking about the, the worship of God, the official worship of God in the temple, OK? 
okay? And he's talking about the glories of worshiping God and being a part of the worship of God and the, and the privileges and just the awesomeness that it gets, it is to be a part of that stuff. And it's in that context that he says, and thank you, God, that you didn't make me a woman, okay? Now, now the key was this, is because women didn't get to participate in, in many of those functions, right? They didn't get to do those things. And so this guy is not denigrating women in general. He's just basically saying it's so awesome to get to be a part of the ministry and the worship of God, and I'm glad I get to do that as a man. And if I wasn't a man, then I wouldn't get to do those things, okay? And that points us to something that kind of the issue that we're talking about, right? Um Women weren't allowed to be a part of various kinds of ministry and worship in the Jewish culture, right? That wasn't their place, okay? In general, um, their sphere of influence was supposed to be the home, right? Okay, and so again, those things that we just talked about, those places where a woman was revered was, was in the home and in the family. Um, when she was fulfilling those roles, then she was someone worthy of honor. If she wasn't in those roles, then there, then there might be other um, opinions of her. But she wasn't, she wasn't responsible to certain kinds of religious observance. Okay. And so you might remember we've already seen an example of that as we've been going through the, the story, the gospel of Luke. Okay. Do you remember back when we talked about Jesus going to the, the festival with his parents and then getting left behind in Jerusalem? Right. You remember that story? And we talked about the fact that it, it specifically tells us that Mary would go down every year with them to this festival. And we pointed out that that was significant because it was making a statement about Mary's own uh, devotion and obedience because women weren't required to do that, okay? Men were required to go down for these festivals, but women were not required. And the reason is because women had things at home that they had to do, right? They had to take care of the children. They had to take care of the home and they had these things. And so you could go down and be a part of the festival as a woman, but you weren't required to. It wasn't something that you were obligated to do in the Jewish faith. Again, sort of pointing to this idea that women are sort of on the on the edge of, of worship and ministry, right? Uh, if you see pictures of, of ancient synagogues a lot of times, and even the temple itself, you had a court of men that was in the center, right? And then you have a court of women that is outside, right? Men are on the center and are active and asking questions and engaged. Uh, and then women uh, sit further back. They're there. They can, they can learn and, and whatever, but they can't, they're not engaged in it. They can't be a part of it, right? Um. All that to say, there were many aspects of religious observance that were were men's work, right? Um, women weren't excluded completely, but they, there was less expectation, less responsibility on the behalf of women. Okay, so there, <clears throat> that's important because that's not what we see in the ministry of Jesus, right? Um, we see something different when we ask that question. That's in the the quasi-provocative title, right? Where is the, the putting women in their place? Where is the place of, of women? Well, for Jesus, the place of women is at his side, right? Um, for, for Jesus, the place of women is to be with him out there um, doing and ministering and being a part of this ministry that, that God has, uh, that is working in, in Jesus. Um, these women accompany Jesus. It says, along with the 12, there were these women, right? Um, and they accompany Jesus on his mission just as the disciples do. They're present. They are active. They are part of the day-to-day -day activity of the ministry 
um, that Jesus is performing, right? And so we've already talked about it again multiple times, I think. Women are featured prominently in Luke's Gospels, in Luke's Gospel and in the book of Acts. Um, we have already talked about the fact that, that Luke pays particular attention to to the marginalized, right? People who are on the fringes of, of society in some ways, right? Um, more than any of the other gospel writers, Luke has a focus on those things, okay? And so Luke, as he tells us about these women, focuses on their role. Not only is he sort of uh, doing that again, showing us the place of women in Jesus' ministry, but there's also some foreshadowing going on there. Because as you know, if you've read through the gospels, right, who is it that is at the crucifixion when everybody else is left, right? It's the women along with John. Who is it that are the first ones at the tomb? right? Who witnessed Jesus resurrected? Who were the first ones? Well, it's the women again, right? Even when we get into to, uh, Luke's account of the New Testament church, right? In the early days of the church, he makes specific references in some places saying the 12 disciples were there and, and James and whoever and the, the women who had been with him, right? And so, so Luke is, is intent on reminding us of their presence and of their importance in the ministry of Jesus. Um, Luke presents religious obedience and ministry not just as men's work, but as a responsibility for women as well. And so women don't get to stay at home in the Christian faith, you could say. They are expected to come along with Jesus, right? Um, Now, again, that does not take away from all the importance of that home life, okay? Because there are still super important things that are done there, right? Critical things things that women are called to that they can't abandon. And so I would argue in some ways it's like, it's it's not that he shifted your responsibilities. He just added to it, ladies, okay? You just have more responsibilities now, okay? But you do get to be a part of this incredible thing that is the work and ministry of, of Jesus um, in the broader world. Galatians 3, 28, 29, right? There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, but there is no male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Peter tells us that that we are to show women honor as co-heirs to the grace of Jesus Christ, right? And so so what, what, we're, what we're pointing towards is this idea that, that a, woman's, a woman's place is at Jesus' side, right? A woman's place is ministering with Jesus and with those who are also other followers of, of Christ. I want you to kind of think about it this way, and it's an article I read by Jen Wilkin um, a while back. And a lot of y'all like Jen Wilkin. You've, you've read several of her books. I've got a lot of respect for her, and, and she is a, uh, a smart lady and, 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 and focuses on God's word and, and does a lot of good good stuff. And she makes a comment about this talking about shifting our perspectives a little bit, because she says, she talks about the fact that in the church, um, we are almost always talking about what women are permitted to do, right? We're always talking about that. Um, well, what, what, what aspects of ministry are women permitted to do, okay? And, and here's the reality. Um, that fosters a certain amount of nervousness to not overstep bounds. Right. At least I think it does with with women, godly women. Right. Um, we're not talking about somebody who is just trying to throw off all restrictions and 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 push against every boundary or whatever. Godly women who are saying, where is my place and how do I fit here? There is still this because of the language we use, this permission language. There is still this this sort of question of am I overstepping my bounds in these areas? Is it, is it wrong for me to pursue something? Is it wrong for me to step out into these different places? I sense that among 
the women in this church, right? Like I'll have conversations with y'all sometimes. And, and even if it's not what is presented, obviously when you say it, you can still feel that tension there. Okay. And, and so on one side, that's good, right? There should be a concern. Okay. For, for biblical boundaries that are established, right? I appreciate that. Part of the reason why the church gets, is so focused on what is permitted is because we have so many forces in our culture that are saying there should be no boundaries, right? And so the church is always on the defensive in a way, you could say. It's always having to say, wait, 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 hold back, hold back, hold back. Instead of being able to, and this is, this is Wilkins kind of, uh, uh, Verbiage. She says, instead of using the language of permission, to start using the language of pursuing, okay, um, of, of pursuing women for ministry, right? Um, seeking them out and asking them to be a part of, of any kind of aspect that, we're, that the Bible um, uh, encourages, encourages them to be a part of. Part of. Um, again, we don't apologize for the boundaries, and we're not trying to speak against the boundaries, um, there's lots of churches that try to change that, to try to sneak around it, but we look at it and say, hey, if God has given us these boundaries, then they are wise and they are good and they are right, and and we should want to be in line with those boundaries, right? Um, because God is, is is the one who has chosen them. But if instead of, of, of seeking to permit women to do things, and instead of pursuing women to do things, encouraging them that you have a place at Jesus' side in the ministry of Christ, that you have a place to be um, a prayer and a reader and and to minister, okay? And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying to to elder, okay? Um, I'm saying to deacon, okay? Which is actually the, the, a better translation, right? When we talk about that idea of, of what a deacon is and stuff, it is a servant. It is a minister, okay? Women are called to be ministers, maybe not elders, but ministers, um, to be biblically knowledgeable, to be wise, to be able to teach other women um, and to lead them in the right way, okay? And so instead of saying, stay at home and let the man, men handle this, right? Or it's fine that you come along, just don't touch anything, okay? Um, instead of saying those two things, say, come follow Jesus, right? There is a place at his side for you. He has work for you to do, just like he did for these women. So what are they doing there, though? What are they doing as they are at Jesus' side? Well, in a very broad way, what I would say, and, and this is the role of women, this is their place in our culture, is that they are being testimonies of his grace. They are standing at his side being testimonies of his grace. So it says some of these women had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, who's called the Magdalene's, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, right? We're told about three women in all by name, although he says that there are others. There, the, one of them is Susanna, and we mentioned her first because this is the only time she is mentioned in all of Scripture and we don't learn anything about her. So I can't really say anything else about her. She's just Susanna, okay? We can assume that she was probably somebody well-known in the early church. That's why her name is here. Uh, Luke drops her name probably because she was somebody who people would be like, oh, yeah, I know who Susanna is. She is is this person who is well-known um, in the church. But maybe not. Maybe he just said it because 
when he was getting his information from Mary or one of the disciples or whoever he was learning from to, to compile his gospel, they said, yeah, Mary was there and Joanna was there and, uh, Susanna and some other ladies. And so he wrote that down. We don't know. Um, but Susanna was there, right? But the other two women, we, we know a little bit more about. Certainly there's Mary Magdalene, who, who is probably other than Mary, the mother of Jesus, is the most, um, well-known woman of the New Testament. So Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, um, probably means that she is from the city of Magdala. Okay. And this is one of those cool things that in, in my trip to, to Israel, um, back in the fall. So, and I was reminded of it while I was studying for this text. So when I'm, I'm reading in, in a commentary, uh, I look back afterwards, the commentary was written in 1996. And in the commentary, it said, we assume that this means she is from the ancient city of Magdala, but we have not found this city and don't know where it is. And the answer is we didn't in 1996, but we do now. It was found in like 2006. And so we got to go there. India and I got to go there. There is, there is, it was destroyed the same time Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, which means the, the, the synagogue that is in Magdala is the synagogue that was there when Jesus was there. There's a, there's a, there's a threshold stone that you can say, certainly Jesus visited this town. He stepped on this rock, right? This was a, this was a major, uh, in, uh, shipping and, and trade center in the ancient world or whatever, but it was destroyed and then never really came back after 70 AD. And so, but until, Ten years ago, it was lost to history, but they find they 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 found it again. But it was she was probably from that city, right? And there's a tradition in the church that she was um, associated with some kind of sexual sin. Um, uh, oftentimes, we hear about her being a prostitute or whatever in stories. Um, that's probably because of the proximity to the story we just read. Right, we just read about this nameless woman who is a sinful woman who comes and cries at Jesus' feet, and then immediately we're told about Mary Magdalene. And so, a lot of biblical commentators over the centuries kind of went, "Yeah, those must be the same person," but we don't know that. We don't know that she was uh, a person of 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 that um, background at all. All we know about her um, is that she had been demon possessed. In fact, she had had seven demons that had been cast out of her. But in either case, being demon-possessed by seven demons or being a prostitute, it doesn't really matter, would have made her someone who was singled out as an undesirable, right? She would not have been the kind of person who was invited to parties um, by godly and important people. She would have been treated, if she isn't the woman from the previous story that Brandon preached on, she would have been treated like that woman, right? That the, the, the men in the, in the room would have looked and said, uh, she shouldn't be here. She shouldn't be touching him. She shouldn't even be in amongst um, other people who are who are godly and and um, and holy. And so that's the picture that we see of of Mary Magdalene. Regardless of the fact, she is probably an outsider. Although she's also probably a person of significant significant financial. Um, resources, right? That's why she can afford to come along with Jesus and to help support his ministry. And so what does that mean? Um, obviously, we're, we're left to speculate on those things. But then on the other side is this lady named Joanna, okay? And so Joanna is sort of the opposite kind of person, right? So Joanna, it says, is the is the, the wife of Chusa, who is the steward of Herod's household, Okay. To be the steward of the king was a pretty big deal, right? I mean, that is a major position of, of authority and influence in this community.
okay? And you don't get to be that person if your wife is possessed by seven demons and is a prostitute, right? Um, that's not, she is not that kind of woman, okay? And so what we kind of notice here is I think there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a dichotomy between these two ladies, right? You have this one lady who is who is from an upper level of society, probably accepted in in proper circles, whatever. And then you have this other lady who would have been an outcast, and yet um, is is not destitute. She's she's uh, probably almost ha- has like a tax collector feel to her, right? Um, but the point of all that is to say this, is that Jesus affected women from various backgrounds, right? Various social backgrounds, various moral backgrounds. Jesus had come into their lives, and what it says is that he healed them from evil spirits, and he healed them from their infirmities, okay? He, he gave them physical healing, and he gave them spiritual healing. And, and those women, when they are healed, they come and follow Jesus, right? Their lives are changed by him, and they come along, and their presence with Jesus as he does his ministry becomes an opportunity to share about what Jesus has done for them, right? And so that means that if they are in their home, right, there is a, a sense in which their testimony would have been limited in scope, right? Their families would have known what Jesus did for them, um, but that would be maybe about it. But their presence with Jesus in service to Jesus out there is has, has this built-in opportunity for, for testimony, right? And they do that for us as well, right? So we read this and we have a testimony of God's grace. And honestly, it works the same way in our lives, right? When we step out into the world, we are testimonies of Christ's grace in our lives too. And so this very gathering right here, why would you waste your Sunday evening coming to a church service? Why would you bother serving in various capacities in your community Every week, why would you take up your already valuable downtime in your chaotic week to come be a part of this or come be a part of that? Why? Well, I hope the reason is, is because Jesus has healed you, right? That Jesus has cast out your evil spirits and, 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 uh, healed your infirmities, right? That he has come into your life and he has worked miracles and your very presence in a place like this is testimony to what Jesus has done in your life, right? It, it is a testimony that you would spend your time this way and focus on these things. And the same is true for these women. And so, so what you could say is maybe another tying back into the title. What is your place, women? Well, your place is to be an evangelist, bearing witness to the life-changing truth of Jesus wherever you go, Right? Whatever community you're a part of, whatever niches and, and, and groups and, and, um, interactions you have, you are there to be a testimony of God's grace. Okay. And so, so what does that look like though? So, so you are supposed to be by Jesus' side. You're supposed to be testifying to God's grace. But what else do we find out about these women? Well, it says that they were providing for Jesus and his ministry out of their own means. So that word providing is kind of interesting, right? It's, it's, it, I, I don't know Greek well enough to, to, um, comment on, on decisions of why they pick certain words, but guess what? That word providing is usually translated a different way. The word is the same word diakoneo. Okay. It's the word deacon. It's the word where we get our word servant from. Okay. And so I don't know why it almost always is translated as serve or minister in, in this form. So it's a verb form, right? But it's almost always translated as serve or minister. But for some reason in this passage, it's 
translated provide for, right? That, that they are providing out of their means instead of serving out of their means or ministering out of their means, okay? But again, it's, it's interesting that that same root word is used. Now, again, that's a broad word, right? That would have been... That word would have been used of any servant in a household, right? A servant would have been called a diakonos or something, right? So, so we're not trying to add too much weight and try to say, hey, look, this is saying that women can be deacons in terms of the official function of the church. That's not what we're saying. But it is pointing towards that same idea, right? That these women are serving. They are ministering out of their own goods, right? Out of their own means. They're using the things they have and the things they are good at to serve Jesus, and in truth, that's no different than anybody should do, right? That's, that's certainly what men should do or any Christian should do. Um, but that's the picture that we have. And so there's, there's this little idea that I came across, and I've, I've seen it on the Internet for probably a couple of years, but, but it keeps on popping up in different little places. Um, and, it, and it is the, the Japanese concept of ikigai. You know that, you know that term? Have you ever heard that, ikigai? Okay, so ikigai is a – I just – I, I kind of looked into it a couple of days ago, but it, two things came out of the island of Okinawa, karate and ikigai, okay? Um, and so here's what it is. Ikigai is, is, it's a word, it's a Japanese word that means something like purpose of life, right? Your, your purpose for being, okay? Um, it's not a biblical concept per se, but what it is, is one of those kind of concepts that seems so blatant and straightforward that when you say it out loud and just sort of like lay it out, you go, oh yeah, I feel like that has a good bit of explanatory power in my life or whatever, right? And so, uh, so this is basically what it does. I- Ikigai, uh, thinks about work, about calling, about vocation, about passion, about the purpose of your life, right? And it asks four questions of you. What do you love? What are you good at? What does the world need? And what can you get paid for? Okay, what can you make a living off of? Getting paid for makes it sound a little base, right? But but what can you make a living off of, okay? And you ask those four questions. And the reality is, is this, is when you start thinking about your life and work and calling and job and all these different things like that, right? You start to realize that probably the case is, is what you are doing is is only meeting some of those questions, Right? Okay. And so you'll kind of look at something and you'll say, well, I like it and I'm good at it, but I can't make any money off of it. And I'm not sure that it's really that important. Right. Um, uh, I feel that way about comic books or whatever. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, but then there's other things that you might look at and go, man, I can make a ton of money doing this thing. Right. But I hate it. And, and I don't, I I don't want to spend my life that way. Right. And so those, what happens is those four categories, those four questions, kind of sort circle around each other and sometimes two of them match up and sometimes three match up. And if all four match up, then it's your icky guy, right? That you are, that you have found this perfect center of, of what you're, you're supposed to do in life or whatever. Right. And oftentimes it might be different things. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's recognizing that essentially we're asking those same kind of questions when we're asking, how can I best serve God in his church? Right? What do I love to do? What am I good at? What does the church need? And then you could maybe say, instead of saying, what can I get paid for? Because obviously that's not the context, but what is a value in some way, right? Is there something that I can do that nobody else can do? And to pay somebody to do that would cost us a lot of money, but I have the skills and abilities to do that and, and can add value or something like that, right? And so again, what, what we find oftentimes is sometimes we're really good at something and the church desperately needs it. Um, but we don't really love doing it, right? 
Um, I can imagine in like accounting work or something. Now, some of you might be like, no, I'm an accountant, man. I love accounting or whatever. But there would be people out there who would say, man, I'm good at it and the church needs it, but I don't really like it. Like it's not what I want to be doing. And yet there's a place for that or something maybe that you love. You love a certain thing and the church needs it, but you're just not very good at it. Okay. That's a hard one as a pastor when people are like, oh, dude, I love this thing and I want to serve in this way. And you're like, you can't. Um, uh, and I can't tell you why we're, we're all full up right now. We just don't need anybody, but I'll let you know when it's time, right? Um, sometimes it's just something that the church needs, right? And I'm not particularly good at it, nor do I particularly like it, but man, it has to get done, right? Cause we can't keep on functioning without it being done. And so the reality is, is this, I think the same kind of principles, again, uh, I, I would almost, I'm certain that the Ikigai probably has some sort of, it's connected to their understandings of spirituality and things like that. Ignore all that because it, it's, it doesn't really matter, right? But we ask those same kind of questions of our service to God. Man, what am I good at? What, am I, what are my passions? Like what energizes me in terms of service in the faith? What does my church need? Because if, man, if I, if all I want to do is a puppet ministry and all we have is like 75 year olds, I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they'll be into it, but it'll probably be weird. Okay. Um, that, that probably won't be the best fit. And so finding the, the place where all those things, things meet. The Bible says that these women were serving out of their own means, right? And I'm sure that means their, their, uh, financial means, right? But I, I think it's probably more than that, too. They're serving out of their resources. They're serving out of their skills. They're serving out of their passions. They're serving out of their experiences. And they're finding different ways that they can use those things to serve Christ and to serve his church. And the reality is, is that, man, we have all those same issues, right? We have particular needs in the local body, right? I mentioned two at the beginning that probably fall into the category for most people of just things that have to get done right? We got to have somebody watch the kids and we got to have somebody uh, help set up and tear down and clean up at the end of the night, right? Those are things that, that now, obviously there are some people who are geared towards children's ministry and they would be doing that before they would be doing anything else in the church. I don't know many people who uh, feel that way about setting up chairs, um, but, but I know a lot of people who are good at it, um, you know, and, 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 and are capable of those things or whatever, but we have all those same kind of questions that we have to ask ourselves to. Okay. And so obviously this passage is, I think it's highlighting the role of women. Okay. But, but there's a lot to be said there just in general for the way we use our giftings and, and, and what we're called to in the church, right? We're called to be at Jesus side, right? Ladies specifically, you're called to be at Jesus side, right? You have, Jesus has invited you to be a part of this, right? He has not said, stay at home and let the men handle this. He has said, come along, follow me and find the place where you can serve. He has specifically said, I want you to be a testimony of my grace to the people that you encounter on a regular basis. I want you to show the world the ways that I have healed and worked in your life. And I want you to be a mouthpiece for that, right? When people, um, 
came with Jesus, I, I'm sure what would happen is they would be there with Jesus and all of a sudden they'd notice Mary Magdalene standing there and she's doing things or whatever she's, she's working there and somebody would say, you know, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be at home with your husband or your children or whatever else like that? And she was able to say, well, let me tell you why I'm here because Jesus changed my life because I had seven demons and he was, he cast them out and I was a wreck and now I'm fixed and, and, and so that's why I follow Jesus. And so it was an opportunity to be, to give her testimony. And then lastly, to find the place where your passions and your abilities and your skills, your work, your calling, your vocation, all of those things, right, meet up in service of God and his church. Amen? So what I want to do is, is we'll just close today in a time of prayer. Um, and, and again, as we sort of start trying to kick back up and get things going back in a normal way, we're not there yet, right? The culture, uh, and, and, and the situation in, in our community with COVID and all the rest, the election and everything else, we're not there yet. Okay. Um, we've been back and forth with, with Ashley as, as she's tried to get ESL stuff back going and it's just not, it's not taken off, right? Because, People are nervous about getting out. They, they don't have the same opportunities to get out and different things like that. It's hard. The, the, the ESL stuff is not something that's easy to do, uh, over Zoom. And so, right, we're not out of all the issues yet, but we are trying to work our way back into them. And it's time to ask those questions in our own hearts, right? What do we love? What are we good at? What does the church need? How can I add value, um, to, to these things? in the tasks in the way that I serve. Okay. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Um, and I, I encourage you to be in prayer over the next couple of weeks on these issues, asking God to open your mind up to those things, open your heart up, um, places that you can serve, connect, get involved, um, and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our church. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we, um, we come before you in, in sort of in a strange way in light of that, that prayer that I mentioned at the beginning, um, of that, of that nameless Pharisee, whoever he was in, in, uh, the history of Israel, God. Um, we recognize the great, um, honor it is to come alongside you, God, that you have invited us into the work of the ministry. Um, that you have invited us to come alongside Jesus and to go with him and to serve and to minister, to go out, to be, be a testimony to, to um, what he has done in our lives. God, that is an incredible thing, uh, an incredible honor for us, God. Um, we recognize that in the coming of your son, that is opened up, God, not only to, to Jewish men, um, but to women and to Gentiles and God, to the whole world, that you are opening up, um, a welcome, um, an invitation um, to the entire world to be a part of your people, um, to to join into your family, and to be a part of the work uh, that you have for us. Uh, God, we need your help to discern those things. God, we need your help to have the the dedication and the devotion, um, the gumption uh, to to get out of our our 
complacency, um, God, to, to dream big and to imagine things that you could do, um, ways that we could serve, ways that we could minister. Um, God, we need your spirit moving in our hearts to do those things. We ask that you would do that as we stay connected to you in worship and we stay connected to your word and we, as we have conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ about, about opportunities and ways that we can help and things that people are, are skilled in and, and, and passions that they have, God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see the different places that, that, um, we can start new things, that we can come alongside other people in, in, um, existing things, God, and, and places that we can do better and continue to, um, uh, to be more fruitful in, in the places that we are already working and serving. Um, God, we just ask that you would help us in these things, that you would open our eyes to them uh, and, and give us uh, courage and, and perseverance and motivation uh, towards it. Uh, Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for um, all of your goodness. But most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh alone, but in the costly moves of
Being here tonight. It's good to see everybody. It's good to be back in the space, I feel like. Um, I know some of you are super excited to be back, and so I'm glad that we could we could uh, join here together. Um, keep your eyes open this week for for uh, communiques through Facebook and stuff about signups and stuff like that for, for some of those um, uh, ways of service that we've already mentioned this week, and, um, and we'll kind of keep you posted and, and as we figure out how that's going to uh, work in the coming weeks. Um, hope you have a great week. Um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.